you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the Stupid Answer Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with him. Because he has a lot of chits, <laughs> Alright. Hello and welcome to episode 386 of the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 20-year young adult brain cancer survivor, coming to you now from the chemo deck at our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. Broadcasting since 2007, The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer, online at stupidcancer.org. I'm Mallory Rivera, Program Manager and Co-Producer of The Stupid Cancer Show, welcoming all our first-time and returning listeners. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because The Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. We got a great show for you. The pressure to say you're okay. Adam Bear, returning champion to the Stupid Cancer Show, is a Los Angeles-based writer, speaker, and consultant whose recent op-ed, The Pressure to Say You're Okay, has made some big waves. He joins us to discuss how we shouldn't have to pressure medical patients to promise to fight and recover and the fluidity of illness. Advocate spotlight on oncology nurse and founder CEO of Lumpy Cards, Lexi Timmons. Hello, folks. Good evening. Got a, a semi-full. What's that voice? Good evening. <laughs> a bittersweet podcast this evening, my friends, as we bid adieu to Kenny Kane, employee and future podcast guest of Testicular Cancer Foundation uh, Executive Director Kenny Kane. I suppose I will have to be coming back in a new context. Yes, that will be a new context. You will not be reading the news you will right. be telling me what the hell the <clears throat> Testicular Cancer Foundation is and does, which you might as well just do right now. I've done it in the past. Yeah. We could just replay my last time. <laughs> uh, it provides support and awareness for young men, 15 to 35, who are at risk and also diagnosed with testicular cancer. And the hope is that uh, detection is early and not late stage and that survival rates will go up and uh, all the complications will go down. And your early detection shouldn't be whacking yourself on the nuts in the fridge. Right, which is my dad's story when I was 18 and about a month out from high school graduation. And he said, hey, I have something to tell you. And I said, what's that? And he said, I have testicular cancer. Um, it's quite a crazy time in our lives, but he's 11 years out now. Yeah. And uh, doing well. Everywhere he goes, he has a ball and he's always been half nuts. And <laughs> all, the, all the jokes. Um, so it's exactly. So I'm excited to. Thank you. I'm excited to move to Austin and uh, continue young adult cancer work in the testicular specialization sense of the phrase. <laughs> that was slightly well worded, if I may say so. Well, six and a half years, and you 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 started the podcast in what 2010? Yeah, I still don't know what my first show is. No, it's probably uh, March. No, it probably would have been January of 2010. Well, we have a live in-studio drop-in guest, Jennifer Benz, here, who was on the show in March of 2010. Yes, indeed. So you must have known each other in a former life, because clearly you have been in the same space and place at the same time in the past. 
Here we are again. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. On your first show and your last show, how appropriate. Bookended. Exactly. Well, we wish you adieu, the best of luck. We know you're not going anywhere because you are clearly staying in the young adult cancer universe. Um, and uh, Godspeed. Well, thank you. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. Enjoy. Good for us. Get the hell out of here. You're done. <laughs> Who are you? Yeah, I forgot your name already. All right, I'm out of here. I never loved you. <laughs> you hang up first. <laughs> Oh, my God, the bromance. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, Jennifer Benz, welcome. You are a returning champion six years later. Thank you. Excited to have you here. You happened to be upon New York for a lovely wedding, and uh, we caught up and invited you here and loved you to recount. We don't get a lot of 20-year cancer survivors here. It's a magic number, but congratulations on 20 years cancer-free. Thank you. It is 20 years this summer that I was first diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, and it's crazy crazy that that much time has gone by uh and 10 years ago this summer that i started my business so i don't know if there's a coincidence there or not well i i wanted to talk about that because <laughs> i actually did listen to a little bit of the show back then as to why you started the business and how your career was influenced by your experiences i mean the 90s tend to suck in general and as alumni of cancer from the 90s uh how were you uh treated how was your diagnosis detected and what was your navigation like if that even was a word back then we can use yeah well a little it's a little bit blurry to be honest uh it was a bit of a whirlwind but it was in between my freshman and sophomore year of college and i started to wake up in the mornings with a puffy face and neck and it seemed like i was having this you were 19 i was 19 actually uh turning 19 oh wow okay and uh you know didn't know what was going on seemed like it must have been an allergy or something like that Went to the health center. They gave me prednisone, which kind of made it go away for a little while, but eventually came back. And after going from doctor to doctor, someone eventually did a chest X-ray and said, oh, see that huge mass <laughs> in your chest? That's not supposed to be Doesn't there. Doesn't belong there. Yeah, not not good. And what it's actually doing is squeezing the vessels uh, that connect your head to the rest of your body. And that's why you're waking up with this puffy face and neck and so forth in the morning. Uh, So that started a whole series of uh, surgeries and so forth to try to diagnose precisely what type of cancer it was. Where were you at the time? I was going to school in Missouri. Oh, wow. Started the diagnosis there. And then... So campus medical services. Yes. Quality people. (laughs) Exactly. I feel your pain. Yep. And then went to Denver uh, to, you know, went home uh, to really figure out what was going on and and started treatments in, in Denver. And uh, crazily enough, I went back to school after just a few cancer treatments because I was so desperate to have a normal yes. life. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I did most of the chemotherapy my first semester, my sophomore year of college, and had some awesome friends who helped me. And, uh, you know, most people didn't really know what was going on. Right. Uh, and went through a whole series of chemotherapy and then radiation and end of story with the treatments yeah and uh, was fertility brought to your attention we always ask that of our guests uh yeah i do remember it uh very briefly being brought up um so i took birth control pills through that process and that was you know kind of the only the only thing that was suggested at the at the time uh but i think there would be a much richer conversation about fertility now uh, for someone that age yeah you would hope we have um, data that shows Yes and no, mm-hmm. that that is happening a lot, but only at cancer centers that can afford to have the conversation. Yeah. So yeah. So, what did you do with the rest of your life? You spent the next 10 years figuring out how to do what? Uh, well, I was going to journalism school at the time for undergrad, and going to journalism school was a good way to learn that I did not want to be a journalist. Uh, and so when I started looking for jobs, uh, stumbled into communication consulting and started working for an HR consulting firm. And I didn't really know anything about that space. I didn't even know that that existed as a profession, but it turned out to be a a perfect fit with something I'm really passionate about, which is helping people figure out healthcare and how to navigate the healthcare decision and, and make good health and financial decisions for themselves and their families. So that's really what I've spent my whole career doing. Right. And, and because you didn't have any of that in 1996. Yeah. Uh, and you started Ben's Communications, which mm-hmm. is a really big deal now. Tell us about it. Oh, thank you. 
Uh, it's a marketing agency, and we focus exclusively on the employee benefit space. So we work primarily with large employers to help them educate their employees about health care and retirement and all the other benefits that they offer. We spend a lot of time helping people figure out how to navigate the healthcare system and make good healthcare decisions, which is really, complicated. really great work <laughs> and so complicated, yeah. so complicated. Uh, and my team's about 28 folks now Wow. based in San Francisco, and it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a total trip that it's been 10 years now, almost since we started the business. So San Francisco related question. They just passed a law in New York where we can't use, we get charged for plastic bags. Yes. <laughs> and I understand that your city is responsible for that trend. Yes, San Francisco has been charging for bags for a long time. Although there's it's very rare to get a plastic bag in San Francisco now. Um they're almost all paper. Well, not even paper. You have to like bring your own little ni mm -hmm. neoprene nylon thing with you everywhere you go, which means you got to carry it. Like your spontaneous, I need milk. You know, yeah. you get five cents for a bag they, they give you. Yep. A little inconvenient. Yeah, it, it is indeed. It, it's a it, it's it's a futile uh, behavior change tactic because it's not enough of an incentive to really force you to change to change the behavior, but it's enough to just kind of annoy you and irritate you all the time. When I could see, like living in the suburbs, you would oh we're we're scheduling time to go to the supermarket right. and we're going to drive there. We know to take the bags with us, mm -hmm. but we're in urban areas. Like I'm walking past, oh I need some apples. You know yeah. I'm not going to plan to carry this thing with me. So NPR had a whole big like an hour about like how New York is dealing <laughs> with this crazy law. Yeah, I, I think it'd be fascinating to see how New York handles it. So thank you, San Francisco. <laughs> One of many things California is lucky to export to the rest of the country. Yes. Well, I am thrilled, as I'm sure you are, to be here 20 years later and be very successful. Employee benefits is an area that we are exploring, as I talked to you about before the show. Yep. Um, everyone who gets cancer should know about us at some point during that uh, conversation with their employers. So we'll plant that seed for the next show. <laughs> very good. Yeah, it's, it's a fun area. And uh, any sort of health health scare is a time that people are just totally overwhelmed and figuring out how to get get better resources to folks at that time of need is a huge challenge. Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, you're here. You can chime in anytime you want with any guests. All just right. introduce yourself. And uh, Jennifer Benz, you get in-house applause for being here. And then we'll get to our, our first guest. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> In our spotlight, Lexi Timmons, an oncology nurse and daughter of a breast cancer survivor who founded Lumpy Cards when she saw the need for cancer-related greeting cards that were more funny and uplifting than those available on the market. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Lexi Timmons. Lexi, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. We do a lot of programming around caregiving, and oftentimes it's the caregiver to another young adult, but... It happens so frequently, the caregiver to a, a, a parent, an older parent, is predominant in this country because 94% of people who get cancer are over 55. So would, right. you, would you be willing to share your, your story as the daughter of, um, uh, of a breast cancer survivor? Yeah, definitely. Well, um, my mom was diagnosed in 2012 with breast cancer, triple negative breast cancer. And um, she went through everything, chemo, radiation, uh, double mastectomy. And I was an oncology nurse at the time, working at a cancer center full time. And I lived three hours away, so I couldn't just drop in any time to cheer her up or, you know, make her feel better when she was feeling sick. So I looked for greeting cards, you know, something funny to cheer her up. And there really wasn't anything out there. Everything that had to do with cancer was sympathy or um more of a sad feeling get well card. So I started buying a bunch of blank cards and just filling them up myself and started designing my own. And now that's turned into a company called Lumpy Cards. So you did something which might seem counterintuitive, which is make fun of cancer, but we really do enjoy the humor in the ridiculousness of all of this. Um, triple negative is pretty serious. How is your mom doing? She's cancer-free now. Uh, she's about three and a half years out uh, from all the treatment in her last, um, you know, double mastectomy. And she's doing great. She's healthy, happy, living life. So, Well, that's good. What was it like for you uh, as the daughter? Do you have siblings or is a father or another parent in the, in the picture? 
Um, I, my dad was definitely a big support system for her as well, but um, I am the only child, so a lot of the pressure falls on me. And as an oncology nurse, it was a little hard because the, the roles were often switched. You know, I felt like um, I was the on-call doctor. You know, Lexi, what is this symptom? I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with this, you know, in the middle of the night. What is it? And, you know, I'm, I'm an oncology nurse, but I'm not an expert. You know, there's, there were some questions that I couldn't answer for her. And that was really difficult because, I mean, it's my mom. It's my role model. It's the most inspiring person in my life. And to watch her go through that was really painful. So you chose oncology nurse as a profession before your mother got sick. That's an interesting yes. turn of events. Yes. <laughs> uh, ironically, the the very first day of my uh, cancer center job here in Los Angeles was the day that she officially got diagnosed. She had had a, a lumpectomy and had that tested maybe a couple weeks before that, and then she'd had the results the day I started at the cancer center here. Um, I had worked as a med surge, medical surgical RN, medical surgical slash oncology prior to that, um, but not a big emphasis in oncology. It was kind of like a mixed floor. So, Tell me more about what got you into the profession of oncology nursing. Well, I've always been drawn to oncology. Uh, when you're going through nursing school, you get a rotation in every specialty, you know, pediatrics, surgery, oncology, everything. And I really liked oncology because you get to see the same patients over and over again and develop a relationship with them. You get to know their kids' names. You get to support them through this process. And it was a really touching experience, and that's why I decided to go into it. And then my mom was diagnosed, and everything changed. Uh, from then on out, every middle-aged woman that I gave chemo to reminded me of my mom. And... It reminded me of the newfound fear I had, and it was very challenging. There were a lot of days that I would leave work crying, and you get really attached to your patients. And eventually, once I had started the company, started Lumpy Card, I left nursing because I wanted to focus on making people feel better, making people laugh, and that's what my entire company is about. So, so here I am. Yeah, I, I can imagine, based on what you're talking about, is that was a blessing and a curse to be an oncology nurse when your mother got cancer. Yes, absolutely. Was it uh, a little too invasive? Where Were you recommending decisions for her, or, or did you have an active caregiver role, or did you want to be more consciously hands-off? I, I tried to let her lead the way. I really didn't want to make decisions for her. If she would ask questions, you know, I would try as best I could to give her both sides, you know, be, play the devil's advocate and really have her make the decisions. Um, so, and she also had really amazing oncologists, and so they helped guide her as well. And she feels really good about the treatment she had, and, you know, I think she's going to be around for a really long time. She's doing really great, so... That's really extraordinary. So triple negative breast cancer brings with it all sorts of genetic risks to progeny. Is that something you have uh, been taken advantage of, like screening yourself or getting sequenced or looking for uh, genomic issues? Yes, actually, and she is BRCA negative, um, believe it or not, because she's actually had two different types of breast cancer. Um, after the chemo and radiation, she was pronounced cancer-free. We had a big celebration. And then three months later, they found two more tumors of lobular cancer in the other breast, which is not triple negative. And so we thought for sure there's some kind of genetic uh, predisposition here. And so we got tested. I was concerned, just like you said. Um, but she was BRCA negative, and they did another ex more extensive gene testing. And the name escapes me right now, but it's like 15 different genes. And she was negative for everything. So, I mean, I don't have to worry as much, and it does make me wonder, though, I mean, what is causing her cancer? If she was negative for all these different genes, and she had two different types of breast cancer, it definitely raises the question. Agreed. So, this, this may sound a little esoteric, but what got you into the greeting card business? It, I mean, you explained, like, you wanted to have levity and laughter and, and sort of be the the, uh, the the disruption to the traditional hallmark nonsense, but 
had you done any writing before? Are you naturally snarky? Because these are pretty cool cards in, in apparel. <laughs> you know, my mom was actually a big inspiration with a lot of the more snarky cards. Her sense of humor is very raw. And um, a couple of the cards have profanity. I'm not sure if you've seen those. Uh, some of those are direct quotes from my mom. And, you know, during the treatment days, you go through some really bad side effects as a cancer patient. And sometimes, you know, swear words slip. And sometimes they're funny. So I started writing stuff down. A lot of the inspiration came from her. A lot of the jokes came from my cancer patients. And it just, you know, people don't realize how how uh, healing comic relief is. You know, you're, you're dealing with this life and death situation and you really need to laugh. I mean, it just lightens things up. It, it gets you away from that fear for a second. So let's talk about, uh, we got a few minutes left. Uh, Lumpycards.com is the website. You have cards and apparel. Uh, what drives the snark? Is, I mean, this, it's obviously this continued frustration over how annoying traditional <laughs> greeting cards and walking into the Hallmark stores can be. But are you solely creating these out of your own genius brain? Um, yes and no. I mean, I hear things and sometimes I'll, I'll twist what I hear, you know, jokes that I've heard at the cancer center. Um, a lot of the stuff, like I said, was things that my mom has said. Um, and other things are just things that I make up and I, I hire artists. I tell them, this is the idea that I have for a card and this is what I want you to draw. They draw it for me. I pay them and that's how I get my greeting cards. It's really, and how has business been? I can only imagine this is a very well-received thing. It is. It's, it's definitely picking up. Um, I'm trying to get out on different channels now, getting in more gift shops. I'm now on Etsy, so it's just growing in different directions, more channels, and I'm really happy. I'm really pleased. Really, really excited to have you on the show. Again, you're, you're kind of a niche market, the oncology nurse who was the caregiver to her mom with breast cancer that went into business of snarky greeting cards. It's it's quite amazing. You may be N of one. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on your show. No, I look forward to meeting you. Wait, where are you based again? In Los Angeles. Okay, so we could, City. it would be great to meet up next time I'm out there. Yeah, I would love it. Fantastic. All right, then. Uh, Lexi Timmons, founder of... Uh, Lumpy Cards, uh, young adult caregiver to her mom with breast cancer and oncology nurse. Thank you so much for joining us on the Stupid Cancer Show. Thank you. All right, Mal. And now the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That's events.stupidcancer.org. Sign up for meetup alerts and never miss a meetup again. If you'd like to learn more about hosting your own Stupid Cancer meetup, visit stupidcancer.org meetup. Okay, there are events happening in New York, Baltimore, West Chicago, and Cherry Hill. No one should face cancer alone because isolation sucks. Download Instapeer for iPhone, iPad, and Android. Create your account and instantly start chatting with someone just like you who's been there and walked in your shoes. Join our mobile community of thousands of cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers on your mobile device today. Instapeer. We've launched a newsfeed aggregator on Tumblr for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at stupidcancer.org slash feed. If you've not yet checked out the Stupid Cancer Community Forums, you're missing out. Join thousands of your peers in a safe and meaningful online environment to get connected, swap stories, learn from one another, and foster the young adult cancer conversation. With hundreds of topics, discussion groups, and issues to discuss, it's a great place to get busy living. Learn more at stupidcancer.org slash community. Support our programs and services by heading over to stupidcancerstore.org. You'll feel great and look great in your new Stupid Cancer gear. That's stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear Stupid Cancer. And that is your Stupid Cancer News. All right, our main segment here, we're welcoming back to the Stupid Cancer Show, Adam Baer, a Los Angeles-based writer, speaker, consultant, three-time cancer survivor who's been featured in the New York Times, the LA Times, GQ, Men's Health, and on NPR. Please welcome back 
Adam Bear. Hello, Adam. Hey, Matt. What's up? How are you? Welcome back to the show. We're excited to have you. you, although I'm sorry it's for the reasons we're going to be discussing, but you, <laughs> you're still writing compelling stuff, and it, it makes a difference, and you, you, everything you're talking about is so resonant. Thank you. Thank you so much. No, it's great to be here. So cancer is the gift that keeps on giving, and <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> we all know that too well. I want to start with just you. Um, you. You are fairly well known, if not very well known, in your space. Um, you produce for NPR. You, I, mean, I think we met when you were writing for was it uh, was it Forbes or I forget who you were specifically with. But I yeah, I'm not sure. I think maybe Harper's. Harper's, at that time. Yeah, 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 definitely Harper's. Then I mean, I freelance, so yeah, yeah. You know, equal opportunity disruptor. I like it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Trained concert violinist from a family that's of true. classical musicians. <laughs> I mean, that that's a rare breed. The young adult survivor musician. <laughs> You're one too, aren't you? Yeah, we are N of two. That's right. Yes. So you were diagnosed again. We have a 20 year theme happening here. He was diagnosed in 1995. I was 96. We have a drop in guest, Jennifer Benz, who had Hodgkin's in 1996. She's celebrating uh -huh. 20 years this week or next week or something like that. Next few months. So we're part of the Bill Clinton Cancer Diagnosis Club. <laughs> and yes, we are. And I'm how, very proud. Yes, and as much as the 90s sucked in general. It was pretty bad to get cancer in at all, let alone being not eighty, and that was us. Yeah, yeah, it was bad, but at the same time, I think um, that drug Nupigen came out right before I needed it, which is the drug that raises your white cells. It's literally an injection, you know, from right. like I think Amgen. And like, if I had not gotten sick, if I had gotten sick like five years earlier, for example, I wouldn't have had access to that. And, and so how were you diagnosed? How, how does, I mean, Jen was talking about like rashes and itching and like the doctors on her campus just ignored it. Yeah. Yeah. I was a senior in high school. I was, I just basically was having what I thought was a really long sinus infection and like a fever that didn't really break very often. It would just, you know, I'd temper it with some Advil and Tylenol, whatever. But um, I didn't have, you know, nothing was sticking out of my neck. It wasn't obvious. But uh, I was I was just ill. I just um, had a fever. It looked like I had a really bad cold and sinus infection for months. For months, exactly. <laughs> the misdiagnosis train. Yeah. So what was that like for you? I mean, again, it was really no no peer support. There was no young adult anything in the 90s. How did you get through it? And yeah, it was difficult. At the time, I was also auditioning for all those music schools that I, um, well, that one auditions for, one wants to be a musician. So it was a little difficult to go into these auditions and, you know, I'd have to perform and I didn't feel well, you know, I mean, even when you're performing and you're just sick, it's, it's just not pleasant. So um, it, it was, it was pretty odd. And in terms of peer support, there, there was very little, I think there might have been an opportunity to join some kind of a group at that time, but it was not anything like it is now. Mm -hmm. And I remember I did meet somebody in like a, stem cell transplant unit with leukemia, but we couldn't really talk. We were in separate, you know, bubble right. rooms and that sort of thing. Yeah, I remember being sent to a, a peer support group and everyone was like 75 or 80 in the group. Yeah. It's like, this is not going to be helpful. No, not right. at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you sort of figure out what to do with the rest of your life, sort of, until 2010, but you got in, were you always, so w did the violin stuff like go away or do you still play? I play for myself, but it did go away. I started to have nerve problems that made it difficult for me to play at the level that I had, you know, I had gotten to. So all of a sudden, you know, I did all this professional training and I started, I got to some peak and I started to see it sort of change and I wasn't quite sure why. And honestly, it didn't hit me that it could have been the chemo and other, you know, and whatever else they gave me until, you know, for years, I didn't really think about that. But that, in fact, is why. And uh, it was basically like the beginning of a long-term personal neuropathy. So getting diagnosed with cancer in the 90s is, is pretty terrible. A lot of the doctors had no idea what the side effect could be, and they were like walking Petri dishes 20 years later with no idea what could have happened to us and things that do happen to us. Obviously, besides recurrence and these chordomas you've gone through, what have you found to be the more challenging benefits, if you would, of beating cancer uh, in in 1995? 
Um, I think it's taught me to be a very good researcher. I think it actually taught me to be a very good journalist. <laughs> or rather, it taught me to be a journalist and to, you know, not be afraid to ask questions and to ask. I was already an inquisitive person, but these days um, you really have to come in, I think, as a reporter for yourself when you're meeting with anyone. And they're going to ask you your story, and then you have to kind of ask them a lot of things and check those things, you know, with sources. So you, you're obviously you write very well. You write very directly. Your your latest piece, um, the pressure to say you're okay. I love this concept of fluidity and health. You know, we we talk about in business like budgets yeah. are a living document, and there's no no such thing as a stable, you know, uh, financial uh, system. The body's the same thing, and what really is health and what is wellness, and why are we so fixated on those words when it's a state of being, correct? I think so. I think people, you know, by and large, don't want to feel like they're, they're sick, like they're maligned, like they're malignant, like there's something wrong with them. And therefore, you know, we have these categories. But the truth is that everything is fluctuating, and people are walking around with all kinds of conditions and preconditions and all kinds of tendencies, right? Genetic tendencies. We have proteomics now that tells us somebody has 12% chance of developing this or that, you know, and, uh, I think, I think saying you're well and saying you're sick is over. <laughs> we need to believe that it is. No, I, I, I agree completely. How do you feel about words like fight we have all these debates here on the show and on yeah. social media the use of military or paramilitary terms in terms of wellness mm -hmm. and i know jen wants to talk about this too what are your thoughts on those those words yeah they bother me i i, I feel like from the very beginning i was very adamant about telling people that i was not fighting anything and that western medicine was doing what it was doing and the results were going to be reliant on the efficacy of the of the treatment and and you know how my cells received it but, um, you know, I've grown up a bit and I've learned that uh, obviously lifestyle and, and attitude does help. I don't, I still don't think I'm fighting though. I think I'm just living and whatever my challenges are, they are. Jen, did you get into the whole fighting cancer stuff when you were going through it or recently at all? You know, I don't remember the, the language that I used around like fighting it or battling it. I, I was fortunate that my doctor's never acted like it was going to kill me. I mean, it was really like, you're going to go mm. through this treatment plan and, you know, life's going to suck for a while and then you're going to get out on the other side of it. it. So I never quite felt like I was battling for my life, which I think a lot of people do. Uh, but I definitely connect to that, that uh, kind of desire of other people to understand something that is such an individual experience. And, uh, and so, you know, I remember people kind of projecting on me, oh, well, this, this has got to be really hard. Like, this is such a tough thing. It's like, well, no, I'm just going through this. Yeah. And I'm like one day at a time. And I, you know, it's such an individual and isolating thing. Yeah, and the words like, did, do you, if you lost your battle, I hate that term. Did oh, that, you didn't oh, yeah. fight hard enough? Yeah. Like, cancer I know. won? Like I don't understand Terrible. why these things the, mm -hmm. these are okay. I mean, I get it when the we call them the citizens, the people outside our bubble say these things because they don't know, and that's fine. But when people in the cancer community use those phrases and terms, I just don't get it. Yeah, it also yeah. connects to this really bad issue that we have overall in our country about end of life care. You know, we should Absolutely. be okay if someone is is ready to end medical treatment and not feel like every last thing has to be done to fight this battle with a disease that Western medicine can, can somehow overcome. And the ramifications of that touch all age groups, you know, and every aspect of disease in our, in our culture. So we may be end of three here as young adult survivors from the 90s, but Adam and I are end of two because we're not just young adult survivor musicians. We both had neurosurgery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. What was that like? Um, it was quite scary. I had I had it twice, technically, if you want to consider spine surgery and neurosurgery. It was neurosurgery. You know, they, they cut nerves. They, they tried to avoid cutting nerves. Um, it, uh, you know, but the brain surgery, 
I technically didn't have brain surgery. I had surgery for skull-based chordoma, and I don't know why I fixate on this, but I like to say that it's in a bone that is in the skull as opposed to being a tumor in the brain. But um, it was very scary. It was obviously very scary. There were a lot of important structures in there you don't want them to touch, and it was very much like the moment before. I don't know how you felt, guys, but um, especially Matt. Um, felt like you had to say goodbye and close your eyes and take a risk and jump. We've been able to boil down what we stand for as a brand into access, navigation, and dignity. But the navigation yeah. part has so many bumps and hurdles, and it's probably the most complicated part of the three of those. And the one thing that's always the elephant in the room is, is how much things cost. And mm -hmm. your cancer center may or may not have a clinical care coordinator to walk you through these things or some kind of navigator to explain all this nonsense and getting cancer when you're not retired is a lot more complicated than getting cancer when you're trying to just live your life in your 20s and 30s. I clearly right. want to talk about financial transparency and ne negotiating and shopping around. Yep. What was your experience, Adam? Because this is something you are very passionate about. Yeah, I'm very passionate about it. It's also something that is, you know, a part of my daily life. I just recently was in the middle of a, a billing war with actually the, the hospital that's associated with the college I attended. And I had actually never even seen a doctor at this hospital. All of a sudden, they just started billing me for something. <laughs> and then that got, got sent to a collection agency. So um, out of nothing came a billing war for thousands of dollars. And it took, I don't know, three months before we just got a squash today. So it's almost like just we're going to have a party tonight. I feel like people have to be really sorry. Were you going to say something? No. That, so today is the squash anniversary of the billing war. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And and I feel like today people, you know, asking a question of a doctor, asking a financial question of a doctor is considered taboo, but I think we need to change that. Okay. I think everybody has to be open about it. It's very scary. Sometimes we're going into these things and we're deciding who you're going to use for certain treatments, especially if it's a rare condition, you need to use a certain person or you want to use a certain person and you can. You know, uh, you should be able to ask, what is it going to cost? Like, are you in my network? Like, how do you bill? And they should be able to answer you. And if they shouldn't, if they can't, then that's fine. And if they don't want to talk about it, there should be somebody there who can. And, and I haven't had a lot of experiences where there are, to be honest. No, and, and you may not know this. Jen runs a very large company in employee benefits and works with like Fortune 500 companies and millions of employees. And, and she lives in the navigation world. Would you like to comment on this in, inanity? Oh, it's it's so challenging. Uh, it, you know, trying to navigate the healthcare system is so complicated when you're healthy and, you know, completely well and have all the, you know, all of the energy, but add to that the stress of actually going through a complicated disease. And it's, it's a nightmare to navigate. And employers have a really unique role in trying to educate their employees about how to ask good questions uh, how to have good relationships with their doctors, and, and we're in that world all the time. And there's been this huge push mm -hmm. the last 10 years or so to consumer-driven plans where we're putting more responsibility on the individual to manage their costs and make good decisions, but it's so complicated. And I think about my life, and I am like a way overly informed healthcare consumer, and there are so mm -hmm. few times that I've been able to actually get a cost for something before it's been done. I've had so many battles around billing and what's mm -hmm. covered and you know, pre-existing conditions and, uh, you know, things that are exceptions from what's typically covered for someone my age. And it you have to really, really be on top of that or it can cost thousands of dollars. And yep. most people just don't have the skills or the social capital to navigate that. Yeah, and I think a wall is put up too. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, I think you're worried that you're not going to, you know, you're not going to be liked. You're not going to be, you're not going to receive the optimal treatment yep. if you become a problem. Yeah, absolutely. And then somehow the doctor isn't isn't going to uh, like meeting with you anymore in their in their sh you know short time frame already if you're pushing back right. on what things cost. Right. Right. Adam, you also write a lot about like the cost of cure and specifically like like the the physical potential disabilities and cognitive deficits and and just just lifestyle malignancies of of the consequence of the benefits of being disease-free, if you want to just use that phrase, that mm -hmm. is also something that that, that lives and breathes in our world, too, especially with HR reasonable accommodation and, and things that have to be made for 
accepting that, hey, yes, you legally need to do it, but you should morally, ethically be aware that these things happen. What's been your experience with, with that? Yeah, I think I tell a line. So I, I like to remain vigilant about late effects and things that are related to my wellness now and my health. But um, I had a stem cell bone marrow transplant, and that was part of the way that my Hodgkin's was, quote, cured, if you want to use that word. Right. But, um, and because of that, you know, it altered my immune system. So I, I'm aware that I'm kind of, you know, anything can kind of happen. And it also can then be said to be related, right, to cancer treatment. Right. Um, and so I do, I do remain vigilant about it. But at the same time, I'm not sending away for, you know, clinical uh, DNA and proteomics test results at, just out of pure interest or because I want to track, you know, when something's going to happen, if something's going to happen, how likely it is. You know, um, I might have to do some genetic testing soon, but that's only because I have to. Right. And somebody thinks it's wise. Yeah. So that's kind of where I fall, I think, in that, in that, on that issue. Was there any one specific trigger that inspired the op-ed, the pressure to say you're okay, or has this been brewing for a while? No, I mean, I think it's been brewing for a while, but I realized I had written someone a note about, I'd written a few close friends a note about, something I was going to have to start to treat, you know, I was going to have to look into treatment for something. And then actually I saw that a famous opera singer um, had written a note that I received and was sent to numerous other people promising that he was going to recover from a newly diagnosed cancer. And I thought that was, you know, it fell into that category of battling and fighting and trying to make people feel okay about you. And so that's that's what inspired that piece. And it, again, like it, it's like the perfect amount of rant and honesty and purity. Uh, I, I, I guess w where is the balance of frustration between shouldn't the world around us know this stuff, or is it okay to accept that they haven't experienced it and there's a little leeway for them to not get it? Oh yeah, I mean, I I, I think there's a lot of leeway. I, I've never. I never expect people to get things that they're not used to, you know, that they haven't been confronted with. I just think that now that, you know, especially in the media, I mean, if you're dealing with people who are, who are, you know, very cognizant of what's going on, they're plugged in, they're using social media. Maybe they're also journalists or writers or people on talk shows. I think they've been confronted with these issues very frequently. And so by now, you know, I think that could happen in a small town where nobody has ever gotten, you know, a serious disease. Um, but I, I just, you know, don't believe that it could possibly really happen in a big city or a semi-large community at this point. I just realized we, we have another spiritual connection here. Uh, I had brain cancer with speech deficits, and I married a speech pathologist. Uh, you had <laughs> neurosurgery and cancer, and you married a health psychologist and a neuropsychiatrist. So that's... yeah. Very intensive relationship building right there. It is, it is. Uh, she did go into that field after we were together, um, but it, it's been helpful and it's been quite a ride for, I think, both of us. We definitely come to it from both, you know, from different sides of the coin. And it's helped me to be able to see how, you know, providers work. And I, I guess I'm using the word providers there to me, not only doctors, but um you know, some of the some of the people who know the most about what you're going through sometimes aren't MDs, and uh, it's it's definitely been an adventure. <laughs> no, clearly, and and uh, ideally, the the number one benefit is that she helped you get medical marijuana through JFK Security. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I mistakenly checked it as we were going through JFK. This is about six years ago. I didn't even mean to have it on me. I wasn't using it. Somebody had given it to me. And I'd been writing an article about it, and I literally walked through JFK security with it. And then once we got through security, it dawned on me that it was in one of her bags that had been checked. And, yeah, she was very smart and helped us get it back. We went back to the check-in area, and she told the, the person that they uh, – she told the clerk that I had had left some very important medication in my bag, and I needed it. And it got very, very tense. Wow. Very scary for a moment. That 
we hear a lot of cool stories on this show. That's got to be at the top there. Well played. Yeah, I mean, there were definitely cops and dogs in that area. Yeah, <laughs> and imagine. we had to go and wait down in this area for large packages, even though ours was not large. And we weren't quite sure what was happening, if we were being watched or not. I'm envisioning the scene at the end of Walter Mitty when he comes back from, like, illegally <laughs> Afghanistan with Sean Penn, and he's, like, locked up at LAX. He's waiting to be, like, <laughs> you know, like, different orifices <laughs> penetrated for things. Yeah, I'm wait that was that's what I'm imagining was going on with you and your Yeah, wife. it was a little bit like that. Yeah. Um, but she was a pro, and we got it. To, we, we, we got it. We disposed of it. We got back in line, went through security, and, and we made it. Um, although the bag did smell, and I worried about... Dog. <laughs> so Adam, you are at adambear.com. You're on Twitter. You still at Glass Shallot on Twitter? Or yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, you're writing for Inc. and you write for Men's Journal, and I mean, you're all over the place. What's what's in store for you? Because clearly, you found your your path. You found a great channel for yourself and all that you want to let the world know. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. Thank you so much for saying all that. I am. Um, working on some new projects and writing projects for print and for digital and definitely um, working on an entertainment project now on a TV show that you may hear of at some point. And okay. uh, I'm also working on some peer support. Um, I may launch a nonprofit at the end of the year. I would encourage you to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> we can have a lot yeah. of drinks. Well, let's, let's, let's we meet up and have drinks and discuss your goals. Yeah, we should talk. Okay. I, I did have hair when I started this. <laughs> so. Well, very exciting. I think stuff. it went to a good use. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> where, wherever. Yes, uh, we we can agree to that. It's some good use. But <laughs> I uh, okay. I got to tell you, it's exciting to have you back on the show. You're such a, a great. Uh, I mean, it's a great story because it really just emphasizes why young adult cancer matters. Why it's different how you know it's not a contest between young people and old people but it's just it's just different and here's why we matter and mm -hmm. it's the consequence of cure and the gift that keeps on giving and, and just understanding that everyone gets busy living on their own terms so kudos for right. that and uh thank you and uh, i look forward to seeing you when I, we're doing a fundraiser in la next summer i'd love to get you involved with that oh yeah no definitely yeah. i would love to go to it very cool. Thank you. Thank uh, you for all you said. Yeah. Yeah. It's been great to be on the show again. Adam Air, LA writer, speaker, three time cancer survivor consultant uh, whose work has been in the New York Times, LA Times, GQ, Men's Health, and PR. Thank you for coming back on the show. Returning champion, Adam Bear. B A E R. <laughs> AdamBear.com. Thank you. Bye bye. <laughs> you would come in very handy on every show, Jen. <laughs> At your service. I'm serious. Like the navigation issues alone. Of, I mean, we always, every show starts out with a survivor story or an advocate story or caregiver story. And the, the, the parallels are nearly identical every time. There, there's rarely is there, oh, I just sailed right through and it was great. Of and course. I was on Tuesday, I was fine. Like that just doesn't happen. And we're finding that, you know, young adults who are employed tend to be underinsured. And then have more difficulty getting tests and scans, and especially if they're not married and they're single and they're, you know, so that alone. Um, is there, I guess a final wrap-up question is, is there hope <laughs> for the general HR employee benefits universe that navigating cancer is improving in an ever more complicated world. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm I'm very optimistic. There's a, a lot of large employers that are putting tremendous resources behind um, helping their employees navigate all aspects of healthcare in a much more high touch way. And there's becoming the realization that it is just way too complicated for the average person to figure out on their own. And you really need experts to help you through that. So there's some great companies that, that exist solely to do that service for large employers, and, and they're having a lot of success. And, uh, and employers are looking at strategies like creating centers of excellence so that if you're diagnosed with cancer, you go to the best place for that treatment. Uh, you, you don't have to go to just a local hospital that might not have access to the best resources. So there's a, there's a lot happening. So I, I am optimistic that employers are going to help play a big role in helping people navigate the healthcare system more effectively. And that should have a ripple effect on everybody else. Well, we're here to help in whatever mm -hmm. we can. Absolutely. Before we close, I want to give Sean Shapiro a shout out. 
Mr. Sean. What's going on? How you doing? I'm doing swell. So, so let's promote Toast. Toast is coming. We are so, so pumped. <laughs> it's uh, it's happening here in New York City, October 13th, and it's being held at NASDAQ's headquarters in Times Square with an incredible view of that corner on 42nd and Broadway. Gorgeous. It's awesome. So the website is toast.stupidcancer.org. Join us. It's a chance to toast everything that Stupid Cancer does for the young adult cancer community, win some cool stuff, have some great food and drinks with your friends. And tickets and sponsorships are available today. On the website. On the Check website. it out. Exactly. Well, this was a great show. Kenny, you still here? Yeah. Mentally, you still here? How are you? <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm not going to go sappy, but I can't thank you enough for all you've done. Cheers. Well, maybe, maybe I can thank you enough for all you've done. 257 episodes. Is that when you started? You, did you really do the math? You just did the math. Well, I added and subtracted. And yeah, that is math. I found. <laughs> that is I, I reached a conclusion. <laughs> Man, what a journey! We started in this room, which we, we can't see on the radio. We were kids. We were we were just totally kids. That song "We Are Young" hadn't come out yet. Nope, and you no. still had hair. Yes, that you put Aussie hair product in. Oh my God, I forgot the Aussie products. I will never forget the <laughs> So bad. Too much business travel. How the hell did we ever get along? I have no idea. Nope. Good stuff. Well, thank you for your service. You're not going anywhere. We will have you back as a... Actually, I'm literally going to Austin. What? I'm literally going somewhere. Yeah, but you're rhetorically not going anywhere. Right. Well, as long as we're speaking rhetorically. <laughs> Whilst in the Wild Stars, exactly. Right. Look for a new album dropping yes. soon. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll have a, you'll be back on the show as the executive director of the Testicular Cancer Foundation uh, soon enough. Indeed. And uh, with that, thank you for everything. And uh, now it's time for our closing sequence. Of a battle and a... One more thing to do, Mallory. <laughs> and God. And now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show, the 386th episode of The Stupid Cancer Show. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. I'd like to thank my guests, Lexi Timmons, Adam Bear, and Jennifer Benz for joining us. Broadcasting since 2007, The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer, online at stupidcancer.org. Coming to you from the chemo deck, and on behalf of my whole team here at The Stupid Cancer Show, we have you had as much fun as we did, poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next week on the next exciting podcast of The Stupid Cancer Show. Goodbye, folks, and thank you, Kenny Kane.